I know it's Easter, and I know it's really important that we celebrate Jesus today. I, I just want to put that out there before I say this. Did anybody see the Gonzaga game last night? Anybody see the game last night, right? Oh, my goodness. I was. Did anybody else, like, was anybody else, like, laying on the couch, and when that shot went in, just jumped off the couch? That was me last night, right? That was what was happening. And... Um, one of this is why they call it March Madness. If you're not a basketball fan, but you've probably heard the term March Madness, this is why it's called March Madness because these things happen. Uh, and so every year uh, we put in, you know, anybody doing like March Madness brackets, basketball brackets, right? And so our family does one. There's 11 of us that are in this bracket challenge. The chances of us getting the perfect bracket, did you know that the chances of getting a perfect bracket are 1 in 9.2 quintillion? That's the probability of that. Um, but we do it anyway, right? And, and we put our brackets together. And I'm so proud of my daughters because my, my, my youngest daughter's number one. My other daughter's still in it. I'm still in it. And so the three of us, because I train them well when it comes to basketball picks, and that they could win this bracket challenge that we're in. But what happens when you're doing this is when your bracket doesn't work out the way you planned. Does that have? Does anybody have that happen? Like when Oral Roberts, 15 seed, beats number what 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 was that uh, number two seed Ohio State, and you're like, what is going on, right? Or when uh, not only that, uh, but when Loyola keeps going, right, and um, they beat uh, I forget who they beat, but they go in, right? No, they I know who they beat. They beat Illinois because I had Illinois picked to go to the championship. So this is what's going on, and so. What happens? When do, what's your discussion like when that happens to your bracket? Or when, whenever something doesn't in your life go as predicted, what, do you, what happens? What, what, how's this discussion? It's like, ah, whatever. Is that the discussion? No. You start to analyze the, what's happening. You're trying to figure it out. Well, maybe if they made more. You start to have, figure out what was happening. You try and make sense of why things didn't go as predicted or planned. This is where we find the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They're trying to figure out why things in Jerusalem with Jesus did not go as predicted or as planned or as they had hoped. They were hoping that he was the one. And now what they know as they're walking this seven-mile trek to Emmaus, what they know this day is the whole that he was crucified and then he was buried and then the tomb is empty. That's all they know at this point in, in, their, in their journey is that they're disappointed. They're discouraged. Things did not go as they had planned or hoped for. And you can imagine the discussion that they're having with each other as they're trying to make sense of what happened in Jerusalem that week. That's what they're talking about. In fact, if you read the, the, the it doesn't really say this when, in the reading that we heard, but they're actually passionately discussing what happened. They're, they're, like, they're not calm about it. They're they're upset about things. It's not that they're mad. They're just upset and discouraged and disappointed. And they're trying to figure out how to make sense of everything that just happened. And I love this story because who shows up in their discouragement and disappointment? <laughs> who comes alongside them when they're discouraged and disappointed? And the answer is in every Sunday school class in America, Jesus, right, right. So that's, Jesus comes alongside them, and I love that Jesus just walks up alongside of them, right? But here's what happens. In, in the 16, it said, but they were kept from recognizing him. They were kept, like prevented, 
from recognizing him. Now, we can think about this, like, why couldn't they recognize him? Well, was he dressed differently? Did he have a hood on? Were, what was going on? Were they not looking at him? Uh, were they too caught up in their grief to recognize it was Jesus walking with them? Were they too upset? Were they too discouraged to actually recognize that it was Jesus walking with them? I think the other possibility, too, is that they were so in you know, what I do when it comes to things, I get real analytical. Does anybody else here get real analytical about stuff and try and figure things out? And you try and analyze every perspective and why this happened and why this didn't happen. You know, I get like that, right? And I think that's what they're doing. They're so far, they're, they're so in their heads at this moment that they can't even see that Jesus is walking with them. They're so caught up in their intellectual analytical skills to try and figure out what happened that they miss seeing Jesus. And so their minds are actually not able to recognize Jesus. So it says that they were kept, they were prevented from seeing Jesus. Something's going on here, and I think it has to do with how they were seeing, were, were not able to recognize him because of what was going on in their brains, right? And so Jesus comes alongside, and I love this too. Like, what does Jesus do? He like plays, notice how he plays along, right? He asks them a question. Now, here Jesus is walking. They're having this discussion. Jesus, at that moment, could have said, hey, guys, look me in the eye. It's me, right? But he doesn't do that. He actually asks them a question and allows them to process and talk through what's going on, and he listens. He walks with them, and he listens to them process everything that they're thinking. And what does he say after that, right? He says, you fool, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken, right? They were slow to believe. Now, there's something going on here in their minds. And actually, if we go to the original language here, it means slow of heart. So their minds are caught up in trying to figure things out, but their hearts are slow, meaning their hearts have not caught up to their mind. And a lot of times I find that when I talk to people about issues of faith, that oftentimes what I find is that they're too busy trying to f figure everything out that they can't actually engage the heart, which is where faith comes from, trust comes from. Um, I had a friend who I was talking to when we were young adults, and he was an engineer at an at a aerospace firm, consulting firm, and he was very, you know, if anybody, any good engineer, I know we got some engineers in the crowd today. I know we, where are the engineers, right? Yeah. Um, we're, engineers are very analytical, right? They, they think things through. They want to know how everything works, right? That's, a, that's what an engineer wants to do. So he was constantly trying to figure out how faith worked. <laughs> he wanted to analyze it and how we could believe that Jesus is resurrected. And we kept having this discussion over and over again, and he was, he, he was just caught up in his head. And at some, I said to him, at some point, faith requires the use of your heart. Faith requires you to just accept and trust that this is true. Even if you can't prove it, even if you can't analyze it and make it all make sense, there are some things in our lives that will never make sense because we as finite human beings have a limited capacity to analyze and understand everything that happens to us, and certainly when it comes to the resurrection. And so that's what Jesus is saying. Your minds are all caught up in analyzing things, but you've been slow of heart to understand 
and you've been slow of heart to understand what's going on. It requires your heart to get engaged. Now, there, in 1992, Easter weekend of all weekends, uh, there was a person named Madeline Murray O'Hare. Has anybody ever heard of her before? She's a, no, a well-known atheist uh, in, in the 20th century. And her goal as an atheist was to er eradicate religion from American culture. And so in 1992, they held a atheist, the National uh, Conference for Atheists, a national rally in Austin, Texas. And they held it on Easter weekend because they wanted to take back Easter from religion and make it a celebration of spring. That was their goal. And at that, at that rally that they were at in Austin, uh, there was people who brought signs, and one of the signs that was at that rally said, uh, took the phrase off our money, which who knows what the phrase on our money is that has to do with God. In God we trust, right? So they put the slogan up on the sign that said, in God we trust, comma, not. And that was a big, anybody here grew up in the 90s and remember negating everything, right? You're like, Hey, I really want to do the laundry today. Not. How, how about I do the dishes? Not. Like, you know, so that was a way to negate what you had just said. And so they were saying, in God we trust, not. Right? That, that was the slogan for the atheists that weekend. I want to suggest to you that we could be functional atheists today. You're like, what, what are you talking about, Matt? Like, what do you mean functional atheist? Well, we could say we believe in the resurrection and that we trust God and we have faith in God. But if we leave here today and go live our lives as though there's no resurrection, as though we don't really believe it, that God doesn't really work in our disappointments and discouragements and trials and hard stuff, then we're basically saying that we're putting a knot on the end of our faith, right? We're saying, I'm going to trust you, God, and believe in you in the resurrection, but I'm not, if I don't trust you with my finances, I've actually put a knot on there, on my faith. Or if I go and I say, God, I, I trust you, but just not with my family, not. Or God, I trust you, and I have faith in you, just not with my career, or what my vocation is. Anytime we live as the in, in the knot, rather than in the faith that we believe in, we're putting a knot. We become functional atheists. And what is required here in the, at the heart level, because at some point, faith is taking a step where I say, God, I can't explain everything, but I'm trusting you. <laughs> I don't know what the future holds for my career, but I'm going to trust you with it. I don't know how I'm going to make the finances work in my life, but I'm going to trust you with it, right? That's faith. Faith is not knowing how to explain everything or make sense of everything. Faith is trusting that God's at work even when I can't figure it out. <laughs> that God walks with us in the disappointment, in the discouragement that we're facing, just like the disciples. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Right? That's saying, I'm going to believe that God is up to something even in the disappointment. And that's what's going on. We need our hearts to catch up with our brains and connect with our brains. Now, when does that happen for the disciples? 
Well, let's go back to the text. It says that they recognize Jesus not on the road, not in his teaching. They recognize him when he blesses, breaks, and gives them bread. Why is that? I mean, he just explained all the scriptures to them. He's taught them. Why didn't they recognize him then? Why didn't they recognize him on the road in the conversation? But it's in the moment that he cares for them and expresses love to them that they recognize him. Notice their response, though. Notice, what did they say when that happens? Sorry, my notes have been windblown all over the place. So I don't even know what sermon you're getting this morning. Um, they said, were not our hearts burning within us? Did you hear that? Hearts, right? Were not our hearts burning within us while we talk, he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Their hearts were recognizing Jesus their minds were getting in the way. You hear that? Their minds, their analytical skills, their rational thought were talking out themselves out of the possibility of resurrection. And why would, why, that, that just it wouldn't have made sense to them anyway. They, there was no, the, the possibility of resurrection was not even on their minds, wasn't even in their uh, realm of understanding, right? And yet they are walking with the resurrected Jesus. And they immediately, what do they do? Immediately, they rush back to Jerusalem in the middle of the night to go talk to the disciples. And when they get to the disciples, they found out that the exact same thing has happened to someone else, Peter. And all of a sudden, you've got two independent eyewitness accounts of the resurrected Jesus, independent of one another, saying, this happened to me too. This is my experience too. And the, the heart catches up. What I love about this as well is that when they recognize Jesus, it's in the hospitality of Jesus, right? When someone offers us really good hospitality, we feel cared for. And in that moment, they felt cared for, and that's the moment that their hearts recognize Jesus, in the love of Christ, in the sharing of the bread, right? I have a favorite, one of my favorite professors uh, in seminary was named Dr. Christy Wilson. He was a missionary to Afghanistan. Uh, Afghanistan is not a Christian country, and he was there in the 1970s. Uh, Dr. Wilson has gone on from this life, but I remember his stories from class. Uh, do you ever have somebody like that that you've heard stories from, and they just stick with you your whole life? You know those stories? And he told a story when he was a missionary in Afghanistan, how they had gone and uh, been sharing their faith uh, with the Afghani people. And several of the people there that they had built relationship with became Christians. So this is a uh, unheard of uh, happened, something not heard of and not welcomed, actually, in Afghan culture. And so they, they formed a church in Afghanistan, and they actually built the church building with this faith community of Christians that had grown up as they served in Afghanistan, the people of Afghanistan. So now they have a faith community, a church, and they have a church building that's been built. Now the government of Afghanistan does not want, did not want Christians in their country at that time. And so they ordered uh, the destruction of the church. They said, we're, we want you, we're going to tear down your church. And they sent uh, workers, 
men with, with bulldozers and heavy equipment and shovels and everything to go tear down the church building. Now, what would you have done if, if you knew that the government was coming to tear down your house? <laughs> what would you have done? How would you have responded? Anybody have an idea? Anybody want to give me a shout out? Anybody want to shout out something? What would you do? What? You would pray? Great. That's a good idea. Who said anger? Yeah, anger, right. Frustration. What else? Pride? Oh, hide. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. I'm going to go run. I'm going to run away, hide, right? So you could have run away. You could have hide. They could have hid. They could have uh, protested, you know, you know, and protested and stood in front of the bulldozers, right? But you know what they did that morning? The morning these guys show up to tear down their church, they bring these people, the men, their breakfast. They serve them breakfast. They offer hospitality. They break bread with them. They bless it, they break it, and they give it to the men who came to tear down their church. And you know what happened that day? The church didn't get torn down. Because these men accepted the breakfast, they had conversation with the church members, they hung out all day, they talked with one another, they shared their faith with them. And that day, the church did not get torn down. And so then the men had to show up the next day, and they came the next day, right, to tear down the church, and the church members came out with breakfast again. And this happened several days in a row, that they just served these men and loved them and cared for them. And these men started Instead, they probably went there expecting a debate, right? Expecting resistance, and what they got was love, care, just like Jesus did with his disciples. Finally, the government caught wind of this, and the government ordered the military to go to the site of the church, and the military went to the church and held the workers at gunpoint now, the church members also offered breakfast to the military, and I wish I could tell you they accepted. They didn't. They rejected their offer of hospitality, and they held the workers at gunpoint, and the workers had then had, under threat of life, tore down the church building. But the members of the church relayed through the story. Dr. Christy Wilson says that what happened, though, to those men that day is they tore down the church, but they cried while they did it. They had tears in their eyes as they tore down the church because now they had a relationship with the people and they could see what was happening and their hearts had been what? Changed. Their hearts had been changed. Not their minds, their hearts had been affected. And so they did it with tears in their eyes. Now, not only did the government tear down the church, the government then forced all the families, Christian families, to relocate in other parts of Afghanistan. They split up the church and made everybody relocate and move out of the area. The problem with that was that then they had a bigger problem because everywhere a family went, they started another church. And there were seven to eight new churches in Afghanistan after that because they tore down one church. That's also resurrection. But notice it happens at the heart level, at the level of hospitality and care and love, not 
just at the mind level. It's not that we reject our minds or our rational thought. We don't. It's that the mind and the heart come together to bring us to faith. And here's the good news for us today, that whatever disappointment or discouragement we find ourselves in today, guess what? Jesus is with us. And Jesus will walk with us as long as it takes until we recognize that he is alive with us today in the breaking and the blessing and the giving of a meal of bread.